Afternoon, everybody. How you doing? Good? Are you guys all right? It feels like there needs to be a little more momentum in this room. You guys doing well? You doing good? All right, good, 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 good. I know you're hungry. It's all right. Um, so, yeah, welcome. Good to be here. Um, I'm really excited about what's happening next week. We are one week away from conference. First time we've ever done this. We have people coming from all over the world literally to worship with us, to learn with us. The way it's um, sorting out is that our leadership teams from our other churches are coming in mostly on Thursday night. We're going to have a special dinner with them. And then our conference happens all day Friday. Um, if you haven't signed up and that's not something you've got time to do, no worries. We want you to come to our worship night Friday night. We've got some special guests that are going to be there. We're going to hear from um, one of our pastors from one of our campus. Actually, in Melbourne, Moy Styles, she's amazing. And um, we want you to be here to worship with them and to get to know people from our other campuses. Chances are you'll know them because they'll be wearing swag that says wherever their campus is from, is my bet. So, um, so we want you to be here with us on Friday night. We want you to be here with us on Sabbath. It's church, and we love to do church together. There'll be different groups of people kind of roaming around, seeing how we do things and worshiping with us. So make sure you make them feel welcome. welcome. And then, of course, our, um, our block party, which is always fun. We always have phenomenal food, activities. It's going to be a great time. So we just are really excited that they're all coming, probably about 200 or so people coming. We want you to be with them and welcome them. So thank you. I'm so appreciative of it. And then we will finish up our Momentum series at the end of that or at church next week. This will be our seventh week. Right now we're in our sixth week of this Momentum series. And um, we have a guiding text, as you know. It's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Paul was speaking to those who may have been kind of stagnating in their ministry, and he's encouraging them to keep going, right? Some of them were even probably being pulled back into that faith tradition that they came from. And he was wanting them to say, hey, Keep going forward. The Holy Spirit's going to, you know, continue to push you and give you momentum. It's really important that that happens. So make sure that you stay and run this race as we know. I'm just going to read to you Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and then we'll come back to it. It begins like this. Therefore, because of everything that happened in chapter 11, as you know, by faith, by faith, and we're actually going to spend some time on that next week. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. We talked about that last week, as you know. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Love this text. We've been leaning into it for the last few weeks. But this is the part of the text with the accelerant. And um, I remember the first time I kind of heard that word, accelerant. It was when I was watching that movie, Backdraft. Do any of you remember that movie? Yeah, it does not hold up well. I went back to watch it this week. And it feels dated when you, when you, when you watch it. But, but they kept talking about what's the accelerant of this fire? What, what was the thing that was the excellent? What pushed it forward? What made it happen? What was the momentum that it was? And I just, I, I remember that. So I went back to watch it a little bit this week and then I stopped. Um, it's okay. But, but as I was reading this text, of course, I'm reading it in a lot of different translations and paraphrases. And I came to Peterson's The Message Bible, which remember, we've got translations which are kind of word for word, and, and they stay true to the text. But then you've got paraphrases like Peterson's The Message Bible, which sticks 
to the ethos of the text and the attitude of the text while not always using the exact same words. So I was reading this particular text in Peterson's The Message Bible, and I loved it, so I thought I would read it to you today just to get a little bit of a different take on it. It says, do you see what this means? Remember talking about chapter 11. All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. I love this next part. Let's think about this next part. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through. I love this last line. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. It's so good, man. And it's that, like you can feel the accelerant, right? You can feel the movement. I love it. And what I love about it is that if you know Peterson and where he wrote, he wrote in this little tiny cabin in Montana on this beautiful lake, like the last place that has momentum. It's a place you want to go and take a nap. Like it's beautiful. And he writes this text that has so much movement in it. I think it's just beautiful. But, but you know, the, the phrase that we need to lean into is we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, which seems obvious enough. I mean, what do you think it means to keep your eyes on Jesus? It's to focus in, right? To make sure we maintain that eye contact, if you will. Because, you know, small changes can change things a little bit. Do you know that an airplane taking off from California bound for New York, this is not a word math problem, just so you know. So stick with me. Some of you are already out, like, nope, I took that test, failed it. An airplane taking off from California bound for New York, can be rerouted to Washington, D.C. just by moving the plane's nose seven feet to the right? Over 200 miles difference, 200 miles away. Small changes can make a big difference. Your trajectory depends on where you're pointed, where you're focused. And focus is important. We all want that focus in our lives and in our relationships. You know how I know this? Because we all spent the last two years on Zoom. And Zoom's a funny thing, right? Because nobody's focusing on the camera when you're on a Zoom call. What are you focusing on? You. Don't say you're not. You're not focusing on the other people. You're looking at you, right? And you're talking to you the whole time. And it's annoying, right? Because people are not really looking at it. And we've all gotten better at it. We've all gotten better at kind of looking around so it doesn't look like we're just focusing on anything but the people you're talking to. This really bugged me during COVID. And so I was like, you know what? I want to do this right. So got one of the nice cameras from the church because I need all the help I can get, right? I need the nice filters and the nice, make me look nice. And then I put a teleprompter in front of it, we've got, which is basically dark glass. And I put an iPad down and it became one of my screens so I could essentially project the grid, the Zoom grid on the screen, and I could look directly through it, and it looked like I was looking at the people. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I had people after a Zoom call, they'd hit me up and they'd be like, hey, Pastor Tim, thank you for paying such attention. I felt like you were talking right to me. You were looking right at me. I was playing Tetris. I wasn't, I could do anything, but I was looking right at the camera. Focus matters. Right? Keeping our eyes on Jesus is important, but it's no small feat. 
It seems like it might be an easy thing to do. But I, I've been thinking about this and trying to figure out why it's so difficult, right? And I think there may be some, some tradition reasons for it, traditional reasons, I should say, that come from our faith tradition, or just faith tradition in general, right? I mean, the truth is our introduction to Jesus is in the midst of many other stories. When we're young and we grow up in church, the Jesus story is another story that we hear, and it's not really the most exciting. I mean, you've got Jesus, which is great. Don't get me wrong. I'm a fan. Like, I, I like it. But when you're four, Noah's Ark is way cooler, right? You don't know how those animals got in. Two by two, that's amazing. You don't know why Noah let all those animals in. There were some he shouldn't have let. You know, why do you let the cockroaches in? We don't need them. It would, that would have been an absolute wonderful time to be like, nope, we're good, right? We could have changed the whole trajectory of the earth. So we learn these stories, but Jesus is often one of the stories we learn, not the one story we must understand. And so in the midst of so many fantastic stories, why would this one stick out? Now, we just did a series called Christophany where we went through the Old Testament and we talked about how Jesus is expressed in the Old Testament stories as well, but that's not really how we learn it. We learn the stories of Scripture like a compilation album. And compilation albums are killers. Do you guys ever remember a compilation albums? You used to be able to buy like the best worship songs of 2012. And they were just horrible. And the reason why they were horrible is because they didn't even have the actual bands playing the songs. They had other people playing the songs that we were supposed to like. And it was just terrible. Like I don't really like, I don't really like greatest hits albums. I like to choose the greatest hits that I like. And this is before playlists, right? Now Spotify just hands you songs and is like, you will like this. And you're like, I didn't even know that I liked it. And, it's, and Spotify says, you will. That's what you pay the subscription for. We're going to do the choosing for you. And you're like, okay, fine. Right? Um, compilations are killers. Greatest hits albums aren't great. And what we've done is we've had, well, there's a, there's a, there is one caveat to greatest hits albums. Um, and it's the Eagles' Greatest Hits Volume 2. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And, and amen. I almost said that in the last service. I was almost like, amen. And then I thought, no, that doesn't feel right. Um, for an Eagles album, but you're, that's a good album. But I, basically, I don't like greatest hits albums. Scripture as God's greatest hits doesn't really work because then the Jesus story just becomes one more track to forward through. And if we have a, a faux pas, if you will, within our faith tradition or a, a, a maybe a misfocus, I think it's that we have focused rather than on the cross, we focus on revelation more than anything else. Maybe because Revelation is at the end, we think it's the most important, right? Because placement matters. The cross kind of shows up in the middle. You're not really sure what to do with it. Revelation is at the end. And I'm for Revelation. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I, I want Jesus to come again. I pray for it every single day. But I wonder why we focus so much on the second coming and sometimes forgotten about the Jesus story of the first coming and of his cross. I mean, do we think more about the second coming because of the way it affects us? Is that the reason? I wonder if this is why we've spent so much time on it. I mean, we might be around for it, right? I mean, we've, we've been thinking that for a long time. This is the generation. This is the one. It's going to come in my lifetime. We have fear and anxiety about it, and then we kind of lean into it as we get a little bit older. Maybe this is why we focus on it more. 
So I got a question for you today, and I hope it doesn't sound heretical. But does keeping our eyes on Jesus mean looking at the cross or staring at the sky, waiting for that half-handed cloud? We're taught to look. Are we taught to look at the cross or are we taught to look at that cloud that's going to come someday? And what does that do to our ability to run the race and our trajectory? I'll just ask it simply. And again, when I preached this sermon on Wednesday, this didn't seem like such a big question. Now that there's people in the room, it feels a little bit more dicey. Is the cross more important than the second coming? This is a dangerous question, it feels like, especially from a faith tradition that has spent so much time thinking about the second coming. But just to be clear, we haven't just been thinking about the second coming. If we have a problem, it's because what we've been doing is not, rather than thinking about the second coming, we've been thinking about where we are in the second coming and where we belong in that narrative. We have a tendency, I mean, we use words like remnant, right? We're the remnant, we're the ones that Jesus is coming for. Jesus died for everyone. When did we get so exclusive in this walk to the second coming? I think the cross is more important for two reasons. First of all, the cross happened. And because of it, we are saved. Because of it, we have a clear understanding of God's love. Because of it, we are forgiven. Because of it, we are sent. Everything that we have, everything that we see is because of the cross. The reason we gather together and we sing songs to a God who is worthy is because of the cross. This does not diminish my belief or hope for the second coming. It just helps me with my focus and what I'm supposed to be looking at. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Not waiting for him to come, but what he's already done. John Stott has some things to say about it in his phenomenal book, The Cross of Christ, which is dense but worth a read. says, if the cross is to mark our Christian life in the home and in the church, this should be even more so in the world. Right? The cross in the world. That's what we give the world. The church tends to become very preoccupied with its own affairs, obsessed with petty parochial trivia, while the needy world outside is waiting. So the Son sends us into the world as the Father sent him into the world the first time to save, not just rescue. We're preoccupied, we're distracted, happens all the time. Can the second coming be a distraction? The answer to that is yes, if all we're looking for in the second coming is us. If we're looking for ourselves in it, then yes, it can be a distraction. But listen, if the cross is more important than the second coming, it's because without the former, the latter isn't relevant. Without the former, Jesus doesn't have anything to come back for. Without the former, Jesus doesn't have anyone to come back to. The former leads to the latter. The cross saved us. Jesus will rescue us. But our life is not just about the rescue. Rather, it's about living in the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's about running the race, not just finishing the race. And that's important. That's important for us to know because if you deal with your faith, if you deal with your belief as if it is just an exit strategy from the world, you've missed a huge part of the presence of God in your life every single day. You actually deny this next phrase. 
which is keep your eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And this phrase is important. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the beginner and the finisher. He's the center and the circumference of our faith. He is the message and the messenger. Do you get it? Do you understand what I'm saying? All of this, even the very faith that we espouse is because of Jesus. I wonder if we're supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus because he is all that we should be able to see. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All creation happened through Him. Colossians 1, 15 through 19. He holds all things together, the firstborn above all creation. He literally holds the universe together. What is it that you can't see? Jesus is everywhere. Maybe the question isn't, why do we get so distracted? Because i got to tell you, when I started preaching this, when I started studying for this sermon, you know, you Google, and I Googled, how do we keep our eyes on Jesus? Probably 14 million websites that had ideas on how to not get distracted and keep your eyes on Jesus. Just bullet point after bullet point, get up earlier in the morning, study more, pray more, you know, do service. I, I, could give you, I could give you lists of thousands of things that we should do to not get distracted. And it bugged me, I gotta tell you. I'm sitting there in the morning going, this isn't right. This, first of all, it's a little obvious right? I mean, really, is the biggest problem in Christianity that we just forgot? The biggest problem in Christianity is that we just got a little busy? A few, many, too, few too many emails came in, and that's why we can't keep our eyes focused on Jesus? Really? Is our faith that thin? Is our belief in Jesus that distractible? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think, we don't lose Jesus like we lose a set of car keys when we come home. Like, I thought I had it. I don't know where. Honey, have you seen Jesus? That can't be that, can it? Because if it is, we don't believe much. I think the question is not why do we get so distracted? I think the question is why do we try so hard not to see Jesus? All those devotionals, all those articles, all of them seem to make it seem like forgetting Jesus was so easy. And I think it's the opposite. I think we're trying not to see Jesus in all things. Because when we see Jesus in all things, we are convicted. And by the way, it's no fun to be convicted. Have you met people who are convicted about something? They're the most annoying people in the world. I'm convicted you shouldn't eat meat. You shouldn't eat that. I used to have a guy who used to touch my steak. Shouldn't eat that. Well, now... Seriously, every time I'd order something, he'd touch the meat. That's disgusting. But he was convicted I should not be eating meat. And you know what? It did not work. Because I saw him wash his hands before he ate. I was going to eat that steak anyway. Convicted people are the most annoying people in the world. When we see Jesus, we are convicted. And we're convicted of a few things. The first thing we're convicted of when we see Jesus is our sin. Right? And it's not because Jesus is standing there pointing out our sin. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't need to do that. Have you ever stood next to somebody who's very beautiful? How does that make you feel? Not more beautiful. Right? I mean, I'm talking about somebody who, like, is striking. Somebody, you know who I'm talking about. It's you. 
No, when you see somebody who's like unearthly beautiful and you, you don't even want to be around them, this is why we feel convicted. We see the perfection that is Jesus and then we know that that's not what we are. And so we're convicted. That leads to another conviction. I need that in my life. I am convicted that I need that Savior. And this, by the way, is no more comfortable because we don't like to be dependent on people. We don't like to be dependent on anything. We like to be self-made people who can handle all our own business. When we recognize what sinners we are in the face of sinlessness, we recognize that we need that Savior. and We become convicted of it and we want that. Conviction is exhausting. By the way, it leads to one other conviction. It leads to our momentum that we should be doing something. When we see Jesus, we know we need to move. We know we need to get up. We know we need to run the race. And honestly, it is easier to sit on the couch and not do anything, to disengage from our lives of faith, to not serve, to not evangelize, to not witness, to not run ministries, to not put ourselves out there. We don't want to be convicted of our sin. We don't want to be convicted of our need for a Savior, and we sure don't want to do anything about it. We keep our eyes off Jesus because it's easier to live without the conviction of Jesus than with it. We're not getting distracted. We're purposely working hard not to see Jesus. And we're working harder to make sure he doesn't see us. Have you ever played hide-and-seek with a toddler? It's the best because they're horrible. It's the best, right? Especially when a toddler does this. That's, that's their whole strategy. You're counting and they just stand there and go with a big smile on their face. And you're like, I can see this kid. But the kid thinks you can't see them because if he or she can't see you, you must not be able to see them. So we have a tendency to live our lives putting our hands over our eyes, hoping certainly that Satan can't see us, but also hoping a little bit that Jesus won't see us so we don't have to live those convicted lives, those lives that are constantly harassing your heart. For that toddler, they're invisible. And we have a tendency to live our lives that same way. We don't forget to think about Jesus. We purposely work not to because it's easier. So what do we do? And this is the hard part. We just open our eyes and we stare into the face of Jesus because it's there. He's at the beginning of the race we're running and he's at the end. He's run the race before and he's running with us. He organized it. We're not distracted, we're tired, we're scared, we're anxious, we're insecure, we're not sure, and we're nervous. But when we open our eyes and we recognize that Jesus is here, we recognize that he's supporting us, that he's carrying us, that he's building momentum in our lives, that he's driving us to go further, to be bolder, to be more convicted, to carry one another. Even the race we're talking about is Jesus. So stop looking away. Just open up your eyes. Over my life, I've named a couple bands, and they're horrible names. 
The first band I was in, we named the Grazers because one of the guys was a vegetarian. Makes no sense. I was in seminary, I was just playing with a new band and uh, I was skipping class, which I don't recommend, but the donuts at this donut shop were really good. And the donut shop was in an old church, so it felt kind of like we were still doing like seminary things. And talking to a few guys, and what should we name the band? And, uh, you know, going back and forth with tons of different names. We started with the Electric Fisherman, just I apologize to the universe for that. And I said, we should name it Big Face Grace. That's a dumb name, and I, it was. And he said, why? And I said, well, it's because the grace of God is like this face that you can't get around. Everywhere you look, it's right there. And they said, well, we, I don't know if we like the name, but we like the theology behind it. Don't name a band because of theology, bad move. But that became the name. Name whatever, theology, pretty good. Open your eyes and you'll see Jesus. Stop standing in your life with your hands covered over going, you can't see me. Because Jesus is that adult looking down at you going, you know you're right there. Of course I can see you. It's pretty simple, right? You just turn your eyes on Jesus and all you have to do is open them up. And we've been admonished to do this for a really long time, right? To simply look at him. We turn our eyes on him. We look in his face. And then everything in this earth has a tendency to get, well, dim, right? It's because when the world shines too much on us, it's when we've lost our focus on Jesus. So you know that all you have to do is open your eyes and look at him. So I want you to sing it with me today. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. This old school church. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. Let's sing this one more time together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Dear Jesus, I just want to thank you for being there, for being the one that holds the universe together the one who was before all creation and created all things. 
Lord, forgive us for the sin of distraction and believing that that's a thing. Lord, help us to open our eyes and then convict us of the things that we should be convicted of. Lord, build our momentum through that conviction so that as we step out into the world, it's, it's to love well, but to, to do it in a way that is powerful and important and meaningful to those in our lives. Lord, I just am grateful that we don't have to live our lives as toddlers, but we get to engage in this great race that you've given us. And Lord, we want you to come. We want you to rescue us. But until you do, we're going to run the race in a way that not only makes you proud, but in a way that recognizes who you are. So Lord, I just ask that today, as we turn our eyes onto you, be the God that's worthy of our vision. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.